Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Jillian Murphy, a naturopath, speaker, educator, and coach, and this is Food Freedom Body Love, a podcast I put together to help you make peace with food, body image, and weight so you can kick your all-consuming, exhausting weight control food obsession habits and start living your best, healthiest life. Welcome to session two. This was a beautiful session to record. I am speaking with a mother of four who has been engaging in a battle with her body through pregnancies and recovery from pregnancies. She has been on the roller coaster of restriction and then not being able to hang on to restriction and what it looks like when when we stop restricting, but we don't necessarily have the skills or the toolkit to fully move into trust and acceptance. And so we uh, keep riding or she was continuing to ride the roller coaster of control and completely out of control, trying to be in control, completely out of control. Um, We talk about the societal expectations of bouncing back after pregnancy and starting to question where that storyline came from and how it's the buying into that storyline and the actions that we take when we buy into that storyline that actually is really the trigger or the the thing that sets into motion the most painful parts of the roller coaster. And then we start to talk about what it would look like to recover from that. And how do we get off the roller coaster? How do we start to question the storyline about female bodies and physical transformation and transition that happen? How do we get comfortable as our body changes and shifts through um, physical experiences like pregnancy and birth, and also just through the aging process. Uh, One thing that I want to mention that I didn't mention with session one is that I just want to give a little bit of a trigger warning that we do talk about weight a little bit. I try to stay away from numbers, but occasionally they pop up, I think one time in this episode. And we also use the words overweight and obese or obesity. The O words pop up in these episodes. And it's not because I like using them or I buy into them. It's just because they're words that are understood and are used by the culture and and words that women are saying in their heads when they are struggling or working through this process. It's also words that come up in their doctor's offices, which is something that we talk about. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, And the last thing that I want to say is that in the, in near the end of this episode, we really start to get into the deeper parts of this work, which is exploring what we've been taught to believe about weight and health and what an appropriate good body is. And that is something that tends to happen later in the work that I do with people. And so I realized as I was re-listening to this episode um, and some of the other episodes, some of the other sessions, that because we're in the initial early stages of the work, it might sound like I don't do enough of that. Like I don't do enough of questioning the cultural storyline around fat and weight and bodies. And that's because early in the work, my job is to meet people where they are. And for most people, where I'm meeting them is weight concerns. And so I'm working to help diffuse their weight concerns and their weight stories 
a bit with the understanding that there's a strategy here that when we begin to diffuse that, when that settles down, it opens the door to be able to dig deeper into why we even believe the things we believe about weight in the first place. When we, it opens the door to challenging really stigmatizing and oppressive beliefs about weight. But again, for those who are maybe just tuning into my work for the first time, who haven't heard it before, it might sound like I'm not challenging that cultural story enough. And that's just because we're early in the work and my job is to meet people where they are. So with that in mind, off we go. full disclosure, almost everyone, everyone actually, that I am doing these initial recordings with, I have not worked with before, but you and I have worked together. And so um, I know a little bit more about you than I do about everyone else that I'm doing this first round of one-on-one sessions with. Um, but it's been a while. And so I'm wondering if you can just start us off by telling us a little bit about what's been going on with you where you're at, what your current concerns are. You know, I know it's a big question. Do your best to sort of pull it together for us. Pandemic going on. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah. There's that as well, a pandemic. Yeah. Well, the last time that we spoke, we were talking more about um, food related with uh, feeding my children. And, um, since then, I uh, got pregnant and had another baby, um, my fourth child. Um, and so things have been pretty much the same as far as feeding my kids. Um, but the body image and um, issues around that um, have increased, if not like gotten way worse because one more kid. Um, yeah, I think my issues right now are just, um, you know, being in a bigger than ever before body um, and trying to manage, uh, I guess, partly society, but partly um, what's been like so deeply ingrained in my upbringing. And it almost feels like so deeply ingrained in my train of thought and in my mind. Um, but then also, you know, kind of societal expectations of like bouncing back and this super mom that I'm supposed to be with four kids. And, um, yeah, so, uh, babies are not, uh, easy on, uh, weight loss or when you have body image issues, <laughs> they don't really make things easier because they, you know, stretch and expand everything. Can you tell me more about your weight through your through your pregnancies has this been a struggle every time or is this something new after baby number four uh I've always been like my whole life I've always been kind of uh body conscious um but not necessarily weight as a number um but definitely so when I was pregnant with my first I remember like I think it was even my first ever time meeting my OB and he was like you know you have to do the weigh-ins and he was like you are like way heavier than you should be. <laughs> and I was like 13 weeks pregnant and was oh, like, wow. okay. Was that first I baby? That was first baby? Yeah. yeah and I was yeah. like 24. Um, and so it was like, what, <laughs> what do I do about that? Like, um, so yeah, that was my first like kind of slap in the face, I guess. Um, 
and I was pretty healthy and active and, uh, you know, led a very healthy lifestyle. So it was kind of like, well, what the heck do I do about it now? Like I'm growing a human. Aren't I just going to get bigger? Um, which I inevitably did. And I think, um, for my first having an experience with an OB, um, was very different than with my second and third and fourth where I had midwives, they never weighed me. Um, so with my first, I think my, um, and weight was still less than I am now. Um, and it's like, why is that important to know? Um, and then with my second and third and fourth, uh, the, the doc, the, my midwives never mentioned it. So, uh, I think it kind of came with the movement of society where body image and like working out and CrossFit and all those things kind of built up and, you know, um, Instagram was invented. So all those things piled on the image issues that I already had had from birth basically. Um, so with my second, I was like, super fit, worked out my whole pregnancy. I ran like a 5k race at 37 weeks pregnant, which is nuts. (laughs) Don't do it. Um, and so I think, um, just now with having my fourth, it was like, I'm aware of it more. And even though the number, I don't think necessarily reflects how I look, it's still in my head. And just having that number in my head, you know, really makes me, Oh, that's too much. You know, I'm, I think my BMI puts me in like morbidly obese, you know, that I'm like this huge person. (laughs) Yeah. And so, um, when you say more aware of it, you mean more aware of weight, like that number. Yeah, the number. Yeah. Okay. Number. And you skipped over there's this trans there's this this third baby, this wild card. I feel like the third baby's often called the wild card and probably for a reason. But <laughs> it's sort of like things were you were fit, your body was, you know, quote unquote cooperating in that second pregnancy. How was it after the second pregnancy? And then what happened with that third baby? Oh, um, after my second pregnancy, um, I didn't breastfeed. I only breastfeed, uh, breastfed for two months. And then, um, I was so obsessed. Like if I'm going to be honest with myself, I was obsessed with my body image and being fit. And in my head I had, it was hard with my first to lose weight. And it was because I was breastfeeding. I breastfed him for 18 months. Um, and so with my third, uh, I hadn't been fit during the pregnancy. I mean, obviously I was cause I still had two kids to chase around. Um, but with my third, uh, I was, uh, not super active. And after she was born, I w- held on to weight like more than I had ever had before. Um, I tried to do everything that I did after my second where I was able to lose a lot of weight. And then after him, I got down to like the fittest I'd ever been. But after, I was after all- baby number two. Yeah, sorry. After baby number two, I was like counting my my calories, Fitbit, got into CrossFit. Was, so by the time I got pregnant with my third, I was like crossfitting four to five times a week, running two to, you know, two times a week, doing yoga two times a week, along with being home with two kids full time. Um, So after my third, I tried to do all those same things, but with three kids and it just didn't 
quote unquote work. It, it, my body wasn't, your body didn't behave. Yeah, my body was like, girl, we're tired. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not doing this. Um, and she was a horrible sleeper. Um, so there was that I, soon after she was born, maybe when she was like eight months, I got, um, I was really digging into like, what's going on? Why can't I lose weight? I couldn't get, um, you know, say those last 20 pounds off. So I was like, just again, starting to get really obsessive with it, um, was working with a kind of online coach, you know, where she would check in once a week and whatever. Um, and I got a diagnosis through a natural path of Hashimoto's, um, which is a thyroid issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, <laughs> there were still really no real answers. Um, you know, I got a, here, take a couple of vitamins and, you know, go gluten-free. And that was kind of it. My, my levels weren't elevated enough that I needed the medication, but they were elevated. So it was kind of like TSH was high. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. High Um, normal, high normal. It sounds like. Yeah. yeah. Not in the thousands, but in the higher than normal. Yeah. So, um, again, after her, it's just been a struggle. Um, I think about when she was 18 months, uh, I found you and mm-hmm. found, I guess, you know, again, society's kind of moved into this, um, health at every size, uh, you know, love yourself. Come on guys. Who cares if you just had a baby, love yourself, stretch marks are cool, you know, trying to really accept things. And that was kind of like, Oh, maybe I should do that. <laughs> and that kind of, I feel like in a way backfired too, because, um, it didn't really help, I guess maybe not backfired, but it didn't really help um, mentally where I was at with like going from, you know, obsessive over food and working out to like, oh, it's cool. I'm not going to do anything. And then, so of course I kind of gained weight or I didn't lose weight anyways. And I was trying out the whole eating intuitively and, and, you know, trying to focus on, on my kids and, trying to focus on something else other than my body, which is like, I had never done that so far. Um, and then I got pregnant again with my fourth and, and so, yeah, I guess, uh, it's kind of just accumulated into this. Now I'm bigger than ever. And I am really feeling torn between, um, I want to obsess so that I can maybe lose some weight and feel that fit, healthy glow again versus, my actual reality, which is I'm exhausted. I have four kids. I don't want to diet because I like to eat chocolate. <laughs> and, uh, I, I don't know if that's practical anymore. Like it doesn't feel practical. It's- right. And so in terms of, so it sounds like the body image has been a roller coaster. And to be clear, cause there's a few times where, um, I just want to make sure we're super clear with our language so that I'm understanding exactly what's happening for you. But when you're saying, um, obsessed with body image, what you really mean, or like working obsessively on body image, what you really mean is working obsessively on weight. Yes. Because working on body image usually involves shifting the story that we have about our bodies as opposed to actually shifting yeah. our weight obsessing with body into fitting something else not obsessing to loving my body or accepting where my body right so that's the differentiation i want to make i also just want to i feel like this is so important to talk about um when you say fit what you mean is thin thin yeah yeah 
It's important to differentiate because those things can get, it is possible to be thin and fit. It is also possible to be thin and unfit. And it's possible to be in a plus size or a fat body and be fit or unfit. And so I just want to make sure that we like untangle those words so that we're clear because it's, it's become this not quite, definitely not in all circles, but for those of us who are interested in body positivity and feminism, I think that we've become aware of the fact that using certain words are a little bit gauche. Yeah, totally. And so we, we, we mix them up. So we start using new words. And so I think that for the purpose of this work, we have to like backtrack, like boop, 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 boop. Here's what I'm really thinking. Here's the old conditioning that's deeply indoctrinated and ingrained into me. And here's what I really mean. Because the fact of the matter is if you want to be fit, we can work toward fit. If you want to get back to that glowing, healthy, energetic feeling, we can work toward that. But weight is going to fall where weight's going to fall. You know that from working with me before. And that's one thing too that I should maybe mention. So with my first pregnancy, being aware of that number, I was also aware that afterwards I never got under, so I held on to 10 pounds. And then after my second, even super fit, I held on to another 10 pounds. And then after my third, it was, I couldn't get another 10 pounds. And now I'm at like, I'm, well, I'm like 40 pounds from where I was with my, with my third. So it's like all these pounds and and grand scheme of things. I do associate the quote fit with a certain number and look, mm-hmm. that's not true. yeah, it's not true. And it's, it's going to be a barrier. So we will yeah. get to that because it will absolutely be a barrier to you because the thing, like if you tell me, so let's start here. What is the most painful thing for you in this exact moment? Like in your day-to-day life, what is the thing that causes the most pain? Physically or mentally? Mentally. That's a big one. Um, I think the way that my mentally, what bothers me most is how I feel physically. I don't, I feel like I'm wearing extra clothing. I feel like, you know, when you wear a a big woolly sweater and you like can't put your arms down or like, you know, a puffer vest. Yeah. (laughs) That's what it feels like I'm wearing. And sometimes mentally the feeling isn't there but majority of the time I'll either you know put on an outfit and go walking with my kids and then I catch this glimpse and it's like what that's not what I thought I looked like okay so that's interesting so let's just let's just stop there for one sec so you go out for a walk with your kids you're actually feeling okay Mm -hmm. then you catch a glimpse of yourself in a window or a mirror and the way you look doesn't match with the way that you feel. Yeah. I've been trying to really, um, you know, in the last two years, um, since trying this whole accepting myself health at every size thing out, uh, I've been really trying to focus on like, if I don't look in the mirror, how do I feel? If I put a cute outfit that I think looking down looks cute, can I own that? And sometimes I can, but it's when I catch myself and then it's like, 
oh, you're a whale, you're, oh, this is disgusting. How could you wear this? Oh, my God, throw this outfit out. Don't ever wear it again. And then it just piles up and builds up. So another really important differentiating thing, because when I said, what causes the most pain? And you said, it's the way I feel in my body. But what you're describing to me is more, and don't get me wrong, there's an adjust, when our bodies shift, there's a, there's a, there are adjustments to be made, right? So we'll talk about that in a sec. But what you're describing to me is that there's much more pain coming from the story you're telling when you see your different body. Yeah. And those are different things. And, and we need to work with them differently, right? And usually we have to work on both of them simultaneously yeah. because it is hard when our bodies shift. And for women, there are many moments in our lifetime where shift is relatively normal and to be expected. So with weight, it's very interesting because there are times like when we, you know, before we get our first period through pregnancy and the recovery of, of being pregnant and or giving birth, um, menopause is another moment where women's bodies often shift regardless of what they're actually doing in their lives, right? There's a moment where they can be doing the exact same things they've always been doing and their weight shifts. And it's, it requires adjustment. It requires adjustment because your body is different than it was before because you've been through the transformation of puberty or the transformation of childbearing or the transformation of moving out of those years. And it does require work to transition. It's a change. Change is hard sometimes, right? But then there is the additional pain of the storyline that our culture carries, which is that it, we shouldn't change, that women should be forever young, forever thin. We have a very, very rigid de definition of beauty and health and what that looks like. And so when we start piling that storyline on, triple the pain, quadruple the pain, a hundred times the pain. Yeah. Something that we could adjust to because there are other things that cause shift and transformation physically in our lives where we're forever affected or changed or shifted. The other, the other example I sometimes give is through my two pregnancies, my feet grew a size. Through, yeah, my feet. Right. But do you beat yourself up every time you have to buy shoes that are a size bigger? No, no, no. Our, our, you know, my arches are, my arches are more flat and it affects my feet. There are sometimes some aches and pains because of that. These things affect the way that we operate in the world physically and we need to adjust and make amends and approach our bodies with compassion. The differentiating factor here is that the weight story is that this should never have happened to you. Yeah. Like you should have bounced back to exactly the way you were before, that there should be no sign of transition or transformation, that you should still have the body of a 17-year-old girl, despite the fact that you're four children in. And, and for some women, it does happen because weight is complicated <laughs> and it's different. And for you, it hasn't. And so what you're rubbing up against is the... the what you're rubbing up against is the storyline or the resistance or the frustration that your body has not done what you wanted it to do. Yeah. And I think some, 
of the shame and guilt behind telling myself I could have done better. I should have done better. This should work. This should, you know, so when I have three kids, I should be able to do X, Y, Z. And the, it's kind of like the fact of the matter is like my body doesn't care what I should be doing. It's tired or, you know, or it needs more vitamins or it needs more sleep. And if I'm not going to give it what it needs, then it should be doing what it's doing now, which is just like, no, lady, slow down. Well, and the second part of this, it leads me into the second thing, which, you know, you're, you're leading me there perfectly. But what happens is when we have that story about some really normal transitions that happen, because there's some parts of the story that you told that feel really normal and feel really natural. Like, your body was, I mean, I don't know for sure because I wasn't exactly there, but the fact that the OB told you that your weight was so wrong right off the get-go is, is probably not true. Um, you know, it, that's very much within the medical control model that a lot of, that a lot of our medical system operates on, which is, which is really data resistant, meaning it's not really proven in the data that weight needs to be X, Y, Z to be healthy. But I will say that when it comes to weight, stable weight is a sign of health. So in some parts of the size acceptance movement, for some people in this movement, um, yes, weight is genetically determined and weight should never matter and it should never play into health and it should never whatever. In the model that I operate on, which is the Ellen Satter eating competence model, we have the belief system that weight is mostly genetically determined, but that we can mess up our, our body's very natural ability to maintain homeostasis. And when we start to get into this really destructive storyline, this really resistant, frustrated storyline about why our body's not doing what we think it should be doing, and we start to engage in interfering with that homeostasis because we believe it's the right thing to do and that we've been fed, this is how you get healthier. We mix up thinness and, and health. Yeah. We're told this is how you should control your eating. This is how you should control your exercising. And unfortunately, you know, where you might have been, had you been able to approach this from a fully, from a model of trust, if you'd been able to move through all of these pregnancies and births and recovery, listening to your internal cues, I'm not saying that your weight might not have gone up, but it does seem like there was a big jump between baby two and three and baby four. And that kind of rapid acceleration of weight or weight that seems to be going up, 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 up with no end point tends to be the result, not of genetics and not of normal transformation or transition, but of interfering with homeostasis. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so there's two things here, right? There's the fact that like your body might be bigger than you'd like it to be. Your body may have always held on to some weight after pregnancies in a way that you weren't super happy with. But the thing that's most painful is the story that we put on top of it. And then the damage that's caused by that story and the belief that we need to take control of our body and what happens when we can no longer hold on to that control and it starts to fall apart. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and my pregnancy and pre-pregnancy and post-pregnancy with my second, it was like super controlling, controlling every last bit of everything. And, and also like trying diets and shakes and pills and all the things 
to just get the control. And I think, you know, again, another part of the mental struggle is that that control, that losing that control. Well, I associate that with, you know, I was having a great time. Of course I felt great, but I also forget that I was super controlling of everything and that I was super restrictive of everything. And did I love that part? No. I mean, and I might, I may have gotten it wrong, but it sounds like some of that control interfered with breastfeeding with baby number two. Was that you were saying? Right. Right. So it's very easy to romanticize the power or the, the sense of superiority that we get out of maintaining you know, tight fist, like grips of control on things, but we forget about all of the other things that suffer. It's easy to forget about those things. Right. And to believe like, Oh, if I could just get back there. And the first thing is that maintaining that kind of tight grip of control is not something that's infinitely available to everyone. Some people can do it for life. Other people can do it when they're really young and they have no other responsibilities and they can put all of their thought and time and effort into this tight fist of control. Um, And for some people, it's never really a possibility. Their body's always wanting to override that control that they're trying to execute. And so for you, what what you're experiencing is, I used to be able to have this tight, tight control And now for a number of really valid reasons, you can't do it anymore. And so there's another shift, right? (laughs) There's a lot of shift. Double the amount of kids, you know, from two to four. And, you know, there's, yeah, there's not control of anything. Right, right. Because weight is... It feels like, um, you know, if you think of holding on to all of your balloons and then holding on to none of your balloons and you're like, but balloons... Remember when we felt good together? (laughs) (laughs) And what I would like to say is that I think that at this moment in time, because I think one of the things you said was that um, it just sort of slipped out and, and then you kind of corrected yourself, but I want to go back there. But this idea that like shifting from control to permission backfired for you. And so what I sense is, is if we were going to stick with that analogy, it's like you were fist gripping the balloons and then you just let go of them all. And it's almost like I'm suggesting that you take them and tie them to the edge of the stroller and like, let them sit there while you go about your day. Like we don't have to just let them all go, you know, and that one of the things that does tend to backfire is that, um, is this swinging very harshly and very, um, rapidly between like, being trying to be in total control and then letting it all go total control letting it all go it's number one it's exhausting it's totally exhausting it becomes harder and harder to regain that tight fist of control um and then letting it all go doesn't tend to feel very good either because the issue is that neither one of those states feel like you have a lot of agency. It doesn't feel like you have a lot of ability to make decisions or, or shift or be flexible or it, it, the, the irony of it all is that there's no feeling of control really in either of those states. It's you being controlled by rules or no rules. And that's something that, uh, that would perfectly describe the last four years. Um, but that's something that also in the last four years, um, in kind of 
other aspects of my life in relationships and um, in therapies have really come out that kind of my whole life I've lived in this very black and white and that I need to learn how to live in this gray area where, you know, I tie the balloons to the stroller because um, coming from divorced parents, um, my mom was really healthy and my dad would buy me junk food and my mom was always right. And my mom, my dad was not, or, or, you know, that's what I was, that's what I was hearing. You know, the good decision, the bad decision, there was obsessing or being really lax about it. And then, you know, inevitably you gain weight because you're eating chocolate and chips and ice cream. Like, so as a child bouncing between that, you've been swinging on this pendulum since you were a child is what you're saying. Forever. Yeah. And so it's not just food and body. It's like everything. And so, um, to come from a very controlling, um, childhood, a very controlled childhood, I guess I should say, uh, finding my way as an adult has been tricky because I don't know what the gray area means. I don't know how to navigate this gray area where it's like, so do I eat the chocolate or like, I don't, or like, can I have one or can I have three, you know, like, so it turns into this very tricky, um, where I don't feel like an adult. I don't feel like I have control of my agency. Yeah, that's the the word I use is agency. And really that's what ultimately what I want the end point of this work to look like for every single person, which means that there's the ability to make decisions about what we do and don't do. Um, You know, so one side of the pendulum, the being controlled by external factors, food rules, you know, this is where people tend to be in a place of no. It's kind of like when you were with your mom, everything was no. It was like, no, 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 no. And then the other, when the pendulum fully swings, like really hard in the other direction, you tend to end up in that, the land of no rules and no, also no control. And it's all yeses. And I will say that for many people, many women in particular that I work with, they have to make that swing. We have to go from constantly saying no to ourselves and trying to manage and put, you know, adhere to external ideas and rules about what we should eat and when we should eat and how much we should eat. We often have to swing all the way into the yeses. Like that's a part of the process to ultimately diffusing the power from this pendulum and getting into that middle of discernment of being able to say yes or no. But before we can say no from this really internally defined place, before we can say yes from this, you know, we have to be able to say yes. And, and that feels challenging that feels hard. And a lot of, a lot of people get stuck in the yeses. So they get stuck in the everything all the time. Yes to everything. Yes, 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 yes. And then they, they call that intuitive eating or they call that competent eating. And then they say it's not working for them or it's to blame for weight. But what they're really, you know, what's really happening is that they actually tend to be swinging back and forth. Mm -hmm. So instead of things the, 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 you know, people are just hearing this, not seeing me acting this out for you. But if we picture a pendulum swinging really hard from one side to the other, um, 
you know, what happens is most people tend to be up really high on one side and they're sort of holding on and that's like the no and the control. And then when they first get introduced to intuitive eating, they let go and it swings very hard to the other side. And it yeah. feels scary because there, there can be some reactive eating, some binge eating, some no rules, anything goes behavior. And again, that's a really normal part of the process. But when people get scared, what they do is instead of just letting that pendulum swing out and come yeah. and find the middle, they want to grab it again when yeah. it comes back. They're like, no, I don't like this. It's horrible. So now I need to go back to this. Right, right. The wave um, simmer down. Exactly, exactly. Middle. And I think that's, I mean, I hope that that's where I can be, that instead of, trying you know trying out this yes that instead of trying to get back to this no that maybe instead I can meet you here in the middle and then work on staying focused in this little middle range because it's really tricky it's and I think in my email I kind of pointed it out that I go from these extremist thoughts where I will catch myself or you know I put on a pair of pants and it's like does not fit at all and I go, I need to never eat again. I'm going to go on a water cleanse. I, you know, I, I mentioned that I, I had looked into getting my stomach stapled. Well, okay, well, what can I do to qualify for that? Blah, blah, blah. And it turns into this big back swinging to this extremist no. Whereas instead I could be like, well, these pants don't fit. Okay, I had a baby six months ago. You know, kind of rationalizing with myself and, and being like compassionate maybe. Um, okay, well, let's buy a new pair of pants until these ones fit and maybe they won't fit. And, and, and trying to, um, and maybe it's like talking down my inner child, right? My inner child grasping all the balloons saying, please, please, I need something to feel safe, to feel controlled, to feel this sense of like, I'm going to get my life together. <laughs> and then, you know, the, you know, I guess the, the ping pong that goes back and forth of like, you'll never be able to control it to let's get your stomach stapled to control it, which is like. So, so one thing that I'll sometimes do in these circumstances is talk about shifting our efforts. So you want to put effort somewhere. Your brain wants to put effort somewhere, right? And so how can we think about putting effort in a more healthy place for you. Cause I think that we can both agree. You let me know if you're still not buying this, but I think that we can both agree that what you've been doing hasn't been working out so great. Agree. Okay. So if we agree that trying to starve yourself, trying to restrict yourself, trying to overexercise yourself hasn't worked a, because you can't always do it because you're too tired and you don't have enough time and B <laughs> right. And B, even when you do, your body doesn't necessarily want to shift. So let's just get super clear about the fact that the coulda, woulda, shouldas, if you could restrict yourself and overexercise yourself, are just hypotheticals. They do not exist. No. There's many reasons why that is, but they just don't exist in the here and now. You're in the body you're in. You're in the life circumstance you're in. There's a lot of really amazing things about the life circumstance that you're in, which is you have four beautiful children and a really full life and not enough time at the moment. <laughs> With everybody home. Right? So restriction, 
overexercise are hypotheticals. They don't exist. They're not working and they don't exist. So we need to take them off the table. So if you can't put your effort there, because every time you panic, you want to put effort somewhere. If we're not going to put effort there because it's not helping, it's hurting you, then where can we put effort? Yeah. Where can we put effort? And where I would, <laughs> I'll tell you. Yeah. Where I would like you to start putting effort, where I would like you to start focusing on the discipline of this work. Yes. Is to getting in touch, in deeper touch with how you feel inside your body. Okay. Uh, the uh, meditation or what do you mean by getting in touch with? Okay. So there's a number of different ways that we can do this. Okay. The major thing that I want you to understand, because this is going to be a hard thing for you to feel at first. What I want you to understand is that you have spent the majority of your time in the past few years, maybe your whole life. I'm not sure in thoughts about your body mm -hmm. and you're mistaking it right from the beginning of this session with how you feel inside your body. You said the most painful thing is how I feel physically inside my body. And yet when you started to really dig into that, it really quickly transitioned to, and I'm out for a walk with my kids and I'm feeling pretty good. And then you see yourself, you have a thought about yourself. It evokes all of these distressing, panicky, uncomfortable, frumpy, frustrated, stuck feelings. And those become internalized as feelings inside your body, that your physical body feels that way. But five seconds before that, your physical body was feeling okay. Yeah. And if it wasn't, we can also talk about that. Like we can talk about ways to gently, mindfully, intuitively start moving your body so that it, so that you get used to being in a slightly well, different body. Yes. Do you mean physically or mentally? Because, you know, the other thing is, of course, um, holding on to X amount of extra pounds is that physically I also feel horrible. It seems like anything I do, I feel sore, uh, you know, but if it's hunching over feeding a baby or carrying a baby on my hip or trying to go for a, a brisk walk or even trying to run, it, it all feels um, to be melodramatic. It feels excruciating. It feels horrible. Um, and that is, of course, because I'm trying to move my body in a way that I used to 60 pounds lighter. And, now and, and, and also just remember that there are women who do end up in bodies that were the same, or I, mean, I shouldn't say the same, bodies that are closer to the original weight after three or four babies that will also describe this, or people who haven't had babies who've just gotten very out of shape, who are trying to get back in shape, who will describe this. So, and I only say that because I want to, I want to explain that that feeling of getting back into shape or um, like, like actually getting back into shape, not just getting thinner, but actually starting to use our cardiovascular system differently, regardless of the body that we're in can feel excruciating. And so just to be careful that weight may be a piece of it, this new body that you're in and learn how to reuse that transformed body. And I'm not saying that your body's broken. I'm just sort of saying that like when our body goes through a major shift or transformation, there's a reparation and a change that has to happen. And sometimes the work of learning to reuse that body in a different way can be painful and weight might be a piece of it, but we want to blame, we tend to want to blame our weight for everything. When in reality, it's just one piece of a bigger picture. Um, 
do you have, can you think of any moments now or in the not too distant past where you have just felt really good in your body? Like you've been doing something, whatever it is, even if it's for five minutes or a half an hour or an hour or a day where you're just like, Oh, I just felt really good in my body while I was doing that. Um, yeah. Uh, I have been doing, um, like mom and baby boot camp, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of CrossFit-esque boot camp type workout. Um, and I have had a couple of days, a handful of days, um, when it has genuinely felt really great. The workout felt great. The atmosphere felt great. You know, I felt great in my outfit, didn't catch any glimpses of myself. So it felt great. And I left saying, that was awesome. I can't wait to do it again. Yeah. And so I just want you to remember, because again, trying to find this feeling can be so fraught with, um, like, it can be easy to feel good about our body when our body's quote unquote behaving. So we just have to be careful of that we don't only allow ourselves to feel good in our body when our body is exercising or when our body is not like on the days where we're less hungry. Do you know what I mean? It's like the analogy I sometimes use is like, that's like only loving your kids on the days when they're well-behaved. Do you know what I mean? Right. Right. Or when they're sleeping, you know, like, Oh, they're, I love them. You know? So movement and, you know, there are certain things like food and movement that, that, if done, if, if done with permission and trust can help us get into our body, like eating for pleasure and moving for pleasure, you know? Um, but sometimes in the beginning, because it can be a little bit hard to discern between, is this feeling good? Cause I'm doing something that in my mind, my mind tells me is good or am I feeling good? Cause I genuinely feel good. That can be hard at the beginning. Um, I usually start smaller than that. So Taking the time to, yes, take a few breaths and just check in with your body several times during the day. So it's like a body image plus a body feeling inventory that I'm going to ask you to do. So it's basically like you're going to take a few breaths several times a day, like maybe, you know, five or six times a day. And you just take a few breaths and just like, how am I feeling in my body? Like if I just quiet down the noise in my head, it's there, it's happening. If I just quiet it down, how am I feeling inside my body? And you can sometimes do a bit of an internal scan. Yeah, It's helpful. And it's also sometimes helpful to avoid certain body parts, like, or to start with body parts that are more neutral, like feet, (laughs) legs, arms, you know, unless those are, you know, problem areas. If there's any part of your body that really pulls up a lot of negative feelings. It can pull you into your head really fast, right? But just trying to like, even if it's just in your chest, you know, how's my heart feeling? How's my digestive system feeling? Like you're, you're trying to tap into these more neutral aspects of the inside of your body. How's my head feeling? How's my brain feeling? How's, you know, and just really taking inventory of how you feel inside your body, trying to connect with how you feel inside your body. And then as an aside, also connecting with how you're feeling about your body in that moment. And what's interesting about this is we start bringing more awareness to how we feel inside our body. Starts to strengthen our ability to connect to that even in hard moments. 
Because the thing that's really tough is that the moment that your brain wants to jump in, we, t- we want to totally believe our brains. We tend to, you know, discount body intelligence and body knowing and overvalue what our brain knows. And what's tricky in this situation in particular, it's not that our brains don't have information, they do, but our brains have been heavily, heavily indoctrinated and trained with sexist, fat phobic, healthist information Mm. that heavily biases our ability to use the information that our brain is that our brain has, right? It just, it's like, it takes everything and it paints it one color. And so we're not able to be as objective with our thoughts as we like. And so we're overvaluing thoughts and undervaluing what's happening actually in our body and what our body's telling us. Well, and it's like thinking, so sitting and breathing and thinking about a factual feeling. Yeah. Actual feeling versus a fiction what it, what it's telling me what the story is about that feeling story is about you know you know like I, you know what i'm thinking as i'm taking notes uh is you know my, i don't actually feel the size of my butt <laughs> you know as i sit here on the floor i don't feel my butt any bigger or smaller thinner or fatter it's just there. <laughs> it doesn't hurt. It doesn't feel sore. Um, but you know, I can feel, you know, I'm kind of hunched over. Maybe if I sat up, oh, okay. Instant release. Like that's a fact versus a fiction, right? The other example that comes up for me is this idea of going for a brisk walk and you could, you could factually go for a brisk walk and be like, Ooh, my heart is really beating and I'm really out of breath. And Oh my gosh, my leg muscles are really tired. Um, and then you could create a game plan to briskly walk three or four times a week until you get back into brisk walking shape. And that is really different from going for a brisk walk and feeling out of breath and feeling your muscles tired and sore and being like, I'm fat and I'm out of control and I'm a loser and I'm not, this is never going to change and I'm not worthwhile. And the only, the only way for me to control this is to like start eating less and, you know, stop eating these food groups and blah, 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 blah. Like one is an objective game plan and one is an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. Uh, well, and I, I like to think of it as like a snowball or like a bubble, you know, I'm just blowing it, blowing it, blowing it up. And it's like, before you know it, you're in this like ridiculous scenario. Everybody hates me because I'm so enormously huge and like, what? Yeah. That's not real. <laughs> right, right. And so your homework is going to be when you're in a calm place to tap in to that feeling in your body, but also when you're in the bubble, when you're in the snowball, when you're in the spiral to try, it's going to be hard at first, but the only way to start to grow the skill and the ability to do it is to keep trying to tap into how you actually feel despite the whirlwind, the tornado of a story that's overtaking even if you want to identify, I, I just, sometimes we need to just be like, you know what? I don't know what it is, but I just want to feel the spiral. I just want to feel this tornado. I need to buy into it and go with it. But if you can logically do that and also take a deep breath and go like, okay, how's my body actually feeling? Oh, okay. 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 Actually my body just feels X, Y, Z, but oh my God, you know, the spiral, like, so when you're calm, 
being able to start to tap into how your body actually feels. But then also when you're in the bubble, in the snowball, in the tornado, actually being able to or attempting to take a deep breath, even if it's for a split second, like I sometimes call this like micro moments of awareness where we just start to tell ourselves the truth in a really small way. Yeah. You know? And again, something that I've been practicing for so long is parenting my inner child. So that's like parenting my inner fatty because the other thing I've been trying so hard to just like be like yeah I'm fat everyone has fat fat's fine people would rather be called stupid than fat and I'm like guys I'm fat it's okay (laughs) um but you know like to to kind of counsel my inner fatty and be like girl we hear you you're here it's great you're fine um spiral out of control but like p.s you're still moving you have two legs two arms you're doing great Right. And I think that was actually one of the questions I wrote. I'm taking some like little notes as we talk because, you know, starting to get in touch with how your body feels on the inside is one piece of this puzzle, right? And starting to get better and better at that so that you can pay more and more attention to that so that you can live more and more from that place so that you can choose to be more and more loyal to that feeling than to the external bubble, snowball, tornado, that's a piece of it. But the other piece of it is what is so wrong with having extra fat on your body? And, and it's easy to say logically nothing. Okay. I get it. I've read the Instagram posts. I read the books. I read the blogs. I listened to the podcast, nothing, but there's an emotional shift that has to happen. There's like this very deep it's, it's the work of authenticity, which is one of those like highly overused, Instagrammed, <laughs> yes. quoted concepts that sounds very pretty, yes. but in reality, owning who we are authentically is not actually very pretty at all. It's actually no. gritty and it, it really tends to involve a lot of like shame work. So disseminating the shame that we feel. I'm trying to show you all the Brene Brown books that are above me. <laughs> this is this is like Braving the Wilderness, that book she wrote. This is absolutely that. It's And there's another one called uh, I Thought It Was Just Me, But It Wasn't. And that it's all about shame. Um, yeah. It's, so the it's, shame of what your body means, of what fat means, and and how... Do you start to disseminate that shame so that it's easier for you to spend time living in your body and not trying to hide it, change it, manipulate it, starve it, overexercise it, or just berate it into the ground? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, it's not a pretty easy process. It's a gritty, unfun at times, but necessary process of like, of acceptance of like, oh, okay, I am currently, and we don't know if you'll always be in this body. I mean, you had a baby six months ago. We have no idea what's going to happen. Weight is complicated and tricky, but you are in the body you're in right now. That is who you are. And if you were to parent yourself in this moment, if you were your child, it would be so much easier to just accept and to, to come at this with compassion and love and acceptance, but it's, it's much, much harder to do it for ourselves. And I was just going to say the word that keeps coming to mind is not authentic, but it's compassion. Yeah. And 
think that um, I listened to a podcast a year ago and it was about the conversation between your inner critic and your inner best friend and that to try to make the switch between um, your inner critic's voice quieting down and your inner best friend's voice hyping up because you know, after years, I think I've been in therapy for like six years, not consecutively, but in between all the babies when I have the time, right? Um, is that uh, I'm always able to um, coach my best friends. You know, I'm like, you just had a baby six months ago, girl, it's okay, calm down. You're good, you got this, it will happen. But doing it to myself feels impossible. And so to really, I guess, to sit and breathe and have that compassion that like it feels uncomfortable right now and that's okay and you know maybe again maybe um having a little bit of gratitude especially in the world we're in now you know what maybe my body is a little bit fat <laughs> but it's alive and it's breathing i'm not in the hospital i'm able to go for walks with my family like i could be a little bit more thankful for that right now. Yeah. And the only other thing I would add with compassion to that is that sometimes it can be very hard to jump to grateful. And I yeah. don't ask anybody to jump to grateful until they're ready for grateful. Cause otherwise it's like spiritual bypassing. It's like pretending because the reality is that like the world does look at fat bodies differently. And so curiosity and compassion are going to be your best friends on this journey. You know, asking the question, when you have that negative feeling, when you are in the tornado or the whatever we're calling it, the bubble, the snowball, why am I feeling like this? Is there a way that I could see my body differently in this moment? Like curiosity and compassion. Can I comfort myself as I move through this tornado in this moment so that I can get back inside my body, you know, <laughs> I'm way out of my body. How do I compassionately move through this until it passes until the storm passes and I can get back inside my body. Those are going to be your best friends and your, and your best tools throughout this. And then once we get beyond the storm, once you're back in your body, once you've used compassion and curiosity to get there, you know, then grateful comes, then grateful comes. Okay. I can be grateful now in this moment. Genuine grateful, not just being like, oh, I'm so thankful. Right, right. And part of the, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you this, this physical experiential homework of working to get into your body, of taking breaths, of feeling systematically scanning and feeling what it feels like to be inside your body and trying to focus on that even just for micro moments throughout the day to build that muscle. But then we also have to do this like mental emotional work. Yeah. of curiosity and compassion because we need to be asking the question like I said how could I see my body differently is there a different way to view my body and why do I feel the way I feel to me is such a big important question because the reality is is that you live in a world that feels a certain way about bodies and this voice that is inside your own head is not actually your voice. It's the internalization of the voice of the culture. And it sounds like your voice. And the reason you want to believe it is because it sounds so much like you. And it sounds like the truth because it's all you've ever heard. And so in order to further undo the tornado, we need to start getting educated 
as to where the voice came from, how that voice is going to continue to affect you. Like this is body image work. Body image work is not reading things and following Instagram, you know, people and whatever, and one day waking up and feeling differently about your body. Body image work is the ongoing process of being aware of the cultural storyline about bodies and how it's affecting you and where it comes from and what it's selling and, 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 and developing the tools to strengthen yourself against it, to get tough, to feel the way you feel when it affects you. And then to move yourself out of it, to move into the tornado and move out of the tornado without making it too much about you. Yeah. It's about you weathering the storms. Right. And so, you know, then gratitude tends to come after that. Once we're able to be aware of, you know, what we want to be more loyal to, which hopefully is how you feel inside your body. But also understand that these tornadoes, these snowballs, these whatever are going to roll in and they're going to roll out. And that's not something that's just going to go away. Yeah. But that it isn't you. It's an external force acting on you. Because you said, I think, I think you said this has been happening since you were born. It hasn't. It started very soon after you were born, <laughs> but it didn't start at birth. You weren't born with the tornado rolling in and out. Oh. It started because of the, the stories. Yeah. It was, so in my therapies, I have kind of figured out where the issue around food was. And it was about four months. Four months old. Has it been continuous? No. Obviously, in my childhood, I didn't really think about food because I was a kid. I ate what was I, what I was given. But as I grew, I kind of saw this black and white, the pendulum that we were talking about of the good food in one location and the junky food in another location. But it was a no and a yes of a, a no, no, no to junk food and a sure, why not? Here, have it, whatever you want. To keep you happy, right? Um, yeah. So it's and and I think knowing that has helped me uncover it a little bit more. And you know, in my years of listening to you, um, is uncovering. Oh, I really am craving a Greek salad. Well, okay. Well, let's have a Greek salad. Oh, I, you know, have a, have a bowl. Oh, I still kind of want more. Okay. Let's have some more. Oh, I kind of want some chocolate. I'm going to have a little bite of chocolate. It's going to be great. And, and kind of trying to listen to why instead of just mindlessly, like I'm hungry and I feel sad and I want ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, you know, the way I feel about emotional eating, which is that it's really normal, but I think that what you're talking about is approaching food with curiosity and compassion and being able to experiment with it in the same way that we're going to experiment with spending more time inside your body versus thoughts about your body. But what's interesting is we started a little bit with, well, we started with body image, but then we haven't really talked a lot about food, but what's interesting is that that, that pendulum of control out of control, which tends to be mirrored in the way that we're eating, right? In control, out of control. That pendulum evens itself out. The way that our food behaviors tend to even themselves out within this model 
when we get more curious and compassionate with our bodies. Like it's, it's the way we feel about our body and the harsh judgments and criticisms and beliefs that we have about our body that fuels that pendulum swinging from side to side that makes us believe that, that continuing to buy into a control model is good for us, even when it's harming us in a really major way. And so we're going to leave the food stuff for now because I trust that it will resolve itself as you are able to be more curious and compassionate about your body, as you are able to see the storm roll in and get better and better and better at letting it move through you, around you, past you, Mm. while staying true to how you feel in your body. And while understanding that if something doesn't feel good in your body, if you physically do that, that you can start working on that without it needing to be tied to weight loss. Mm. And your weight will just do what it's going to do as a result of this work. It will just do what it's going to do. Yeah. Or swinging to, oh, I feel kind of out of breath. I better do all the workouts. Exactly. Exactly. What's the next baby step? What's the next thing I could do? Isn't there a movie? What is that movie? Frozen 2. She's like, just do the next best step. That, That movie I felt like was... I felt like that movie was a representation of all of the work that I do with women. I'm not even kidding you. What is the next step? What is the next right thing? We, we can't like, it's a diet culture belief that we can know what we need to do for our bodies for the rest of time in a given moment. All we can do is the next right thing, the next step, the next best thing, right? That's what intuitive eating is. It's being present in our body, being willing to tune in and listen to be aware of our physical, mental, and emotional needs and do the next right thing. But that is challenging to do when the storm is rolling through, when the tornado of thoughts and judgments and criticisms are rolling through. And so um, let's wrap up with this. When COVID-19 comes right when co- Yeah. <laughs> when- All the people posting their live workouts, like that's a storm. It's, it's a pressure and, and homeschool and you know, cook and, you know, you're, we're grocery shopping less. It's a whole other storm to be trying to navigate. Um, but now, yeah, I'm going to try and navigate to the side and watch it from over here. (laughs) And just, and and again, if we were going to keep working on this, what I would want to do more and more is continue to break down for you so that you understand in more and more depth and detail, the story that you have about weight and why you have the story that you have. Because until we start to break that up, until we start to really challenge that over and over and over again, until we start to be super aware of it, um, it continues to affect us and it continues to fuel that pendulum. It continues to build up the storm or the snowball, right? It's, it's that belief that the way that, that the thoughts that we're having about our body are a fact and they're not a fact. Yeah. It's a belief system, right? And so, yeah, so your homework is going to be starting to spend some moments, micro moments, moments in your body, becoming more in touch with how you feel inside your body, becoming aware of when the thoughts start to roll in and just trying to separate yourself from them. They're going to roll in. They're going to happen. Just being like, that's not me. That's the cultural storyline I've ingested. Sounds like my voice. I recognize that voice very well, but it's not mine. It was, it was planted in me at a very young age And I'm going to be curious and compassionate about why the storyline is so strong for me. And if there is a different way to see this, 
Is there a different way to see? Is there a different story that I could be telling in this moment? And again, it doesn't need to be like, I'm beautiful. I'm a supermodel. I want it to be true. Yeah. Like I'm a new mom who's working on a body that is constantly shifting and changing every day and I'm struggling to get used to it. I have engaged in restriction and control that's no longer working and now I have to find a new way and it's hard. Like that can be the new story for right now. It doesn't need to be, you know, it's like that's the next, that's the difference between at all or nothing. This, these are the next right steps. These are the next baby steps. It's not going from I'm the worst and everything's out of control to I'm a perfect 10 supermodel, which you might never feel because you never need to feel like that. Right. Like part of this process is just accepting who we are, that authenticity. Right. And part of authenticity is again, understanding that there are going to be certain societal norms that we might never measure up to. And, and that's hard and that's tough work too, but I'm going to leave it at that for you today. How does that feel? Good, good. I think it's really practical. And um, again, like something I can even do with my kids, getting them to think about what their body is actually feeling. Absolutely. It's such a good way just to tune into feelings of anxiety and, and happiness and joy and all of those things, right? Sitting in our bodies a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Take care. We'll talk very soon. All right. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. The things that really stood out to me in that episode was getting to talk about, you know, not only identifying the roller coaster and becoming really aware of the roller coaster of um, restriction and then reaction to restriction or letting go of restriction and how to start to get off the roller coaster, but also beginning the conversation about why the roller coaster started in the first place. I loved it was it was something that we we really started to dig into near the end of the session. I just loved that so much and I also particularly loved identifying that body image work isn't something where we do a little bit of work and then our body image shifts and that's it done. Right? It's like it's not a light switch that we just all of a sudden flip and it's forever good. It's the understanding that um we are going to continue to be confronted with stories and beliefs about bodies and body image work is the work of continuing to strengthen ourselves against external ideas and opinions about body so that we can stay true to ourselves. If you like today's episode, please share it with everyone you know, rate and review it on iTunes. It would mean so, 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 so much. And if you have any questions or feedback, or you'd love to be on the show yourself, email me at hello at foodfreedombodylove.com.